0: Hey, this weekend at Sam Lyons, we launched a new sermon series called Friending. And I just want to say that 10 years ago, friending was bad grammar. Uh, but nowadays, it's a verb. It's a very active verb. Every minute, literally thousands of people are friending someone in our social media uh, age. Uh, and social media plays a huge part in that that whole term friending. And uh, we're going to be talking about that in the in, the, in the, these next uh, four weeks. Actually, in October, we'll start our Bible study sermon series on First and Second Samuel. We're really looking forward to that, and uh, you'll be hearing about how to get involved in a Bible study. Uh, but in September, we're going to talk about relationships, and specific. Specifically, friendships, biblical friendships, and um, what they are, uh, what's not a, a, a good friendship, and uh, how to ma- how to manage our friendships in, in a way that almost feels unchristian. And what I mean by that is sometimes uh, we we have to unfriend. And, uh, and, and in other times, also, too, we just need the basic tools of how to discover a friend. And in fact, that's what I'm going to be talking about uh, this morning. 1958 blockbuster movie is called The Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. Here's the poster on the screen behind me. Uh, if you uh, went to that movie or if you were uh, alive then, uh, you, you, you'll know that that's not actually the original uh, movie poster Um I just felt like she wasn't wearing enough clothes. So I put a turtleneck and some caprice on her. Uh, but. Uh... That's the actress Yvette Vickers. Uh, Vickers, here's another picture of Vickers back in, back in the day. Uh, she was the celebrity that played in that movie. And in fact, that, that launched her in her career. She achieved celebrity status, uh, became quite famous. Um, and, and if she was still alive, she'd be around 87 years old. I say around because um, there's some, we don't know really dates of birth. but Actually, we don't even know the day she died. Odd story, Los Angeles Times ran this, uh, this story, it went viral. Um, Vicker's neighbor, Susan Savage, was walking uh, through the neighborhood and walked by where Vicker's house was and noticed the mailboxes open and noticed that the mail inside, the envelopes were yellowing. And then when she, when, uh, when she looked at the house, she noticed a lot of cobwebs and a broken window by the front door. So Savage went, stuck her hand in that broken window, unlocked the door, went in, pushed her way past the barricade of boxes that had clothing in them, and and noticed that the heat was still on the home. In fact, the back bedroom, there was this permeating glow from a computer that was still on. But what she she discovered when she walked in that back bedroom horrified her. Um, What she discovered was the mummified body of Yvette Vickers. She had been dead for nearly a year as best as investigators can, uh, can you know, sort of ascertain. Um, and, and, and no one knew. No one knew that she, she died living an isolated and alienated life. She died alone. Now, um, investigators were going through her telephone records, uh, went through some of her email accounts to find out, actually, who was she contacting? Who was she connected to? And uh, she, she wasn't married. She did not have kids, so she had no family that she was contacting. She wasn't connected to a faith community, so there wasn't communication going that way. Um, and uh, she, she had no friends, uh, apparently. But what she did have is thousands of connections, broad connections all around the world, and it was all linked to her celebrity status from the movie that she starred in, that people would go to these these conferences where these horror films would, you know, sort of the the, the memories of them would be relived, and, and she would go, and people would meet her there, and that's who she was in contact with before she died. Her connection base was very, very broad, but very, very shallow. She had no family, no friends, no connections. And that is not just a 1950s, 1960s Sort of phenomenon that actually carries through. I mean, obviously, uh, Vickers died probably three or four years ago. That that's a phenomenon today. We are more connected. We have a broader base of connections than we ever have in, in the history of the world. And we've got social media. We got Facebook and Instagram and whatever else is out there. Uh, you know, we got phones. You got Skype. You got email. You got you have more access. People have more access to you than at any point in human history. In fact, your ancestors would be shocked at how much access, how how many connections you have. But the reality is, is that they're broad. Many Americans today are, are going the way of Yvette Vickers. Broad connections, but shallow relationships, few friendships, biblical friendships. We are increasingly becoming an isolated and alienated and lonely people. Uh, Jacqueline, Dr. Jacqueline Olds and Dr. Richard Schwartz wrote a book called The Lonely American, and in their research study about five years ago, what they discovered is in, in doing research that in the span of six months, one out of four Americans will not have a significant conversation with another human being. Something that really matters to them. One 25% of Americans will not have a significant conversation. What's even further shocking, uh, this, this stat has tripled. Um, 30% of all Americans say they do not have one single confidant. That's, that's almost a third of our society does not have someone to go to to share their pain or to share their joys or to have a, a, just a heart-to-heart conversation with. And that number has tripled over over the past 15 to 20 years. Uh, and, and another author by the name of Philip Slater, in his book called The Pursuit of Loneliness, actually, he wrote this book in the 1970s. Uh, so this is, this is old stuff, four, over 40 years old, but listen to what Slater said in the 70s. He said, we seek a private house, a private means of transportation, a private garden, private laundry, self-service stores, and do-it-yourself skills of every kind. An enormous technology seems to have set itself the task of making it unnecessary for one human being ever to ask anything of another in the course of going about his or her daily business. Even within the family, Americans are unique in their feeling that each member should have a separate room and even a separate telephone, television, and car when economically possible. We seek more and more privacy and feel more and more alienated and lonely when we get it. Church, that was 1970s. And it's still the same. We, we love the, you know, learning the DIY skills, the do-it-yourself skills. We, we love to have our space. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. But when we pursue it to, to the degrees that we have, what we end up doing is creating this insulated life, this, this life that actually breathes, like rabbits, it breeds loneliness. And perhaps Eric Carmen in his 1975 song captures the mood the best when he wrote, When I was young, I never needed anyone, and making love was just for fun. Those days are gone. Living alone, I think of all the friends I've known, but when I dial the telephone, nobody's home. Some of you still sing this in the shower. All by myself, right? You know, the, you know this song. Don't want to be all by myself anymore. All by myself. Don't want to live all by myself anymore. Yet our reality is, is that we are increasingly doing life alone. We're connected broadly. We've got more connections than ever. But when it comes to true friendship, When it comes to that friend who is there, that friend who knows you, the friend who knows what you're thinking, the friend who who recognizes the look on your face, the friend who can read you, the friend who cares about you, the friend who loves you no matter what happens, fewer and fewer of us have a friend like that. And in this series, what I want to do is I want to talk about what, what that friend could look like. And I want to say, one author has put it this way. You're one friend away from discovering the destiny that God has for you in your life. You're one friend away from discovering your God-given destiny in, 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 in that relationship. And so I want, to, I want to talk to you about what a friend is. I want to talk about unfriending, but today I want to talk to you about the discovery of of a good, biblical friend, a life-changing friend. Because the reality is, is that loneliness is not just something people experience out there. Some of you are lonely. Some of you are feeling isolated. Some of you are asking the question, does anyone notice? Does anyone even care? If I just sort of slipped in and slipped out, would it make any difference at all? And yet others of you are going, I got more friends than I want. I've got, I got, I got too many connections, but the reality is, is when we start drilling down and discovering what a true friend is, I think what we'll discover is that we've filled our lives with all sorts of busyness. And what we're doing is we're just painting over, we're masking the, the loneliness that we're actually feeling. And some of you have great friends. and I celebrate that. And that's fantastic. So I hope this series will be something that will just affirm and confirm you in, in, those, in those relationships that you have with, with great, trusted friends. Uh, many years ago, when I was growing up in Hong Kong, my brother and I would come back from boarding school. And uh, as mom and dad were working with church and doing church planting, we sort of made up games to pass time. And one of the games that my brother and I made up, uh, we actually only played it once. It'll make sense here in a second. Uh, we only played it once. Um, and it had to do with like, like finding treasure. And here's how it works. You had to get something that was extremely valuable to you and give it to your brother. Uh, my brother's a pretty smart guy, got his doctorate from uh, U of O, so, um, so I had to go first. And so I gave him something that was very valuable to me, and it was, a, it was a GI Joe, and so I gave it to him. And what he did is he then got on a bus and rode somewhere in Hong Kong and buried it in, in the city. And then... As the game develops, what he does is he just, what he draws a map, you know, X marks the spot, and then what I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to follow the map and find my G.I. Joe. Now, we only played this once because my brother messed with me and drew me a bad map. He just, he, he didn't really want me to find my favorite G.I. Joe. So, somewhere today in Hong Kong is buried my favorite GI Joe that was never discovered. And hundreds of years from now, some archaeologist is going to say, oh my gosh, look at this. Uh, (laughs) And uh, he gave me a, he he just gave me a lousy map. And I just want to say when it comes to building relationships and when it comes to discovering friendships, finding a good friend, the, the reality is, is that, that most of us have been given bad maps. We've been told this is, how you, this is how you discover friendship, but this is what friendship looks like. And so what I want to do at the front end of this friending series that we're going to be in for four weeks, I just want to give you, just expose two bad maps that we often get, and I want to give you a good map to get, to get you on the journey of friending. And I'm going to do that just by starting by looking at Proverbs 18, verse 24. It's up here on the screen. Proverbs 18, 24. A person of many companions may come to ruin, But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, I want you to look at that verse for a moment, and I want you to notice three contrasts that are taking place. There's just two halves to this. The first half is a person of many companions may come to ruin. That's half one. Half two is, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Here's the contrast. The first contrast is between the word many and the word a, or a. It's a contrast between plurality and singularity, or the plural and the singular. Many and in this case, one. The second contrast is between companions and friend. Now, for many of us, those sound like synonyms, like oh, those are the same things, and and they're not. Uh, in biblically speaking, a companion is an associate. It's an acquaintance. This is someone that you you could do life with them to a certain level. Uh, but their companionship, friendship, is completely different. Uh, and we'll define friendship in the weeks to come. But just to give you a little snapshot, Aristotle defined, uh, defines true friendship this way. Uh, Aristotle says a true friendship is one soul and two bodies. There's a such a significant connectedness in in a uh, deep friendship, and that that's that's how a, a secular philosopher like Aristotle paints that picture. Uh, now we'll we'll look at Scripture and talk about what the, what the Scriptures say about friends. But back to Proverbs eighteen twenty four, companions and friend are comp- they're two completely different ideas. Now C.S. Lewis in his book called The Four Live Four Loves says that. When it comes to friendships, really, most people don't have friends. They have companions. And what he's saying is, is that most of our friendships, we have friends with people or companions with people because they're useful to us. Now, not in a dysfunctional way. So don't hear this all negative. Certainly, manipulation can take place. Certainly, people can use others inappropriately. But what Lewis is getting at is, is not the dysfunction. What he's getting at is, you know, you know who to call when you want to laugh. You know who you want to be with when you want someone to rejoice with you. You know you want who you want to hang out with when you just want to just, just be yourself and, and, and have a good time. You know who you want to be with when you want to have a deep conversation. These are useful companions that you have in life. And that's a very good thing, but it's different than a friend. It's it's different than the friendship that's being painted here by the wisdom writer. So contrast one is many and a. Contrast two is companions and friend. And contrast three comes to do with ruin and the one who sticks closer than a brother. Let me explain this one because it's a little bit less obvious to see. The the ruin is relational ruin. Ruin. Meaning that when you really hit the wall, when you start to crash and burn in life, what happens is if your life is built on this foundation of companionship, what what ends up happening is people disappear. But when you have a friend who's walking with you, they stick closer than a brother. That word sticks is oftentimes interpreted in in the scriptures. You'll find it in Genesis, talking about marriage, a man and a woman cleaving together. That's the same word. It means to be glued There is a friend who will be glued to you even in your deepest, darkest hour. And so the the, the third contrast there is between ruin, relational ruin, aloneness, loneliness, and someone who sticks closer than a brother. So here's, here's the first bad map we've been given just by looking at this verse. The first bad map we've been given is that the more connections, the many, if I have a plurality, if I build a big, broad base of connections, then the more secure I will be in life in regards to my relationships. But it is as if the wisdom writer has gone from 1,000 BC, stepped into a time machine, and showed up in 2014, and given us this pearl of wisdom, because today, in our social media age, there's this idea that the more friends I have, the more people who are following me, the, 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 the more, more connections I'll have, the more people will care. But the reality is, is that people are not building friendships through social media. Now, let me just tell you up front. I'm gonna share some, some findings uh, from social media and um, it, it might sting a little bit but I, here, here's the deal. I'm, I'm not on Facebook. I have zero friends, all right? And I don't know how many friends you have. And I'm grateful for that. Um, now, the reason I'm not on Facebook is I don't think social media is evil. I think it's very useful. I think it, it, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, so please, please don't hear that. The reason I'm not on it is because it'd be really awkward if you said, hey, Steve, can I be your friend? I mean, I go to the church that you pastor, and I said, no, I don't want to be your friend uh, that'd be weird, right? So I just sort of just remove that whole part of life out, uh, out to the side. Um, so, so if you are in social media, if you have, um, a lot of Facebook friends then that, that's great, but I want you to hear something and I want you to just be teachable here for a moment and do some own reflection in your own heart. Ohio State University did a research project on social media. And they asked thousands of college students about their friendships, and they did a lot of just study of these college students' lives. Here's what they discovered The number of Facebook friends an individual has is a direct correlation to low self esteem and personal loneliness. What what this research study actually discovered is that through social media, people are not building friendships, they're building an audience. They're building a fan base so that they can post what they had for dessert last night to thousands of people all around the world. And then when they wake up, what's the first thing they do? So I've been told. You, you, you check. Does anyone like it? Any comments? Um, is, is anyone choosing to follow me? Am I, is my fan base building and, and, and what researchers, researchers are discovering is that actually social media is taking us the way. They're not saying this. I'm saying this. They're taking us the way of Yvette Vickers. Broad connections all over the world. You've, I mean, it's that quirky kid who sat behind you in the seventh grade, and you're sharing with him what you had for dinner, all right? You're connected, but it's not friendship. And the reality is, is, if that is your main source of relationship and staying connected, again, I'm not saying it's, it's wrong to be on social media. What I am saying is you need to, back to Proverbs 18, 24, a person of many companions may come to ruin. Friends, it's a bad map. The more friends you have you know, on whatever social media platform, the more followers you have, does not bring you security in your relationships it actually takes you the way you vet Vickers that's exactly who she was reaching out to the quirky kid in 7th grade or that guy who went to the movie back in 1958 and she died in relational ruin and no one knew that she was gone So that's the first bad map. The the more, the merrier sort of approach to our friendships. The second bad map has to do with really what the wisdom writer is getting to uh, in this verse. A person of many companions may come to a ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Here is what the wisdom writer is saying. He's saying that you can discover a friend that will be that relationship, that friendship will actually be more valuable to you than your relationship with your family. Now that, that actually might shock you a little bit it did my mom last night in the five o'clock service she was not happy she came and talked to me after the after the service (laughs) you know you will not preach that ever again and I was like it's in the bible mom uh and 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 so what what the wisdom writer use the bible as a weapon and defend yourself from your parents (laughs) what else are you gonna do uh, what he's now obviously this this can be twisted and distorted as well. It doesn't mean to, to ignore your family. But what he's saying is when you just you can discover a friend that will be as valuable to you as a family relationship. But here's the bad map. The bad map is is that there's all this pressure. You you want to prioritize friendship. But what happens is in our culture, friendship, love. Now you got to understand this. The pursuit of friendship will always be pushed to the backseat. It will always be the last priority. Let me explain. In a culture like ours, that's so a liberal culture, the sexual love is exalted as the most important love. Okay? Sexual or erotic love is always the highest value. When you go to the grocery store, you look at the magazines they're selling there, they're not telling you who's great friends. They're telling you who's sleeping with who. And that is because erotic or sexual love is the high priority in our culture. And everything is interpreted through that. And, 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 that's why when you, when you read about friendship in the Bible, in our liberal culture or this, this sexually oriented culture, and you read about strong friendships, like between David and Jonathan, some people, because they're looking through this lens of culture, would say, well, when it says that David had a love for Jonathan that was stronger than a love for a woman, that must, be, that must be a same-sex relationship. No, I mean, give me a break. We would only say that because we have exalted erotic love in our culture, and we have taken friendship love, and we put it to the back seat. We can't even understand friendship because everything is interpreted. Relationships are always interpreted through sexuality. In fact, the one blockbuster trilogy movie that came out recently, Lord of the Rings, that's the one blockbuster movie trilogy was about friendship. But if you read the book, you know that the romance story, sort of the love affair between Aragon and Arwen, was in the appendices of the book. But when Hollywood made the movie, they took a story that was in the appendices and put it right in the center. Why? I'll tell you why. Because we're not turned on by friendship love. We have to have romance. There's got to be a love story. There's got to be some sort of thing going on to glue it together because erotic and sexual love is the most, it's the most important thing in our culture. And because of that, friendship love is pushed to the back. Or if you're in another culture in our world, what you'll discover is that, no, it's not sexual love that's exalted. It's family love. Family relationships are most important. Speaking of using Bible verses as a weapon, I mean, uh, honor your mother and father. In some cultures, that's like, I raised you, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. You better do what I want, right? Some of you heard that. Well, in, in some cultures, the pressure of those family relationships, are, it's really, really strong. And all the other loves submit to family. Your duty to your family comes first. Your honor to your family comes first. And so again, friendship love gets pushed to the back. Or in a socialistic culture, it's all about about, uh, neighborly. It's like society watching out for each other. And and in those cultures, you will even turn on your family. And the reason I'm bringing all these up is because in each culture, it doesn't matter what it looks like, Friendship love is always the lowest priority. And in a busy culture like ours, where we're trying to get all this stuff done, we're trying to achieve and produce, the time we have left, the margin in our life is swallowed up by family or by our our, our spouse um, or, or, or by our interaction in the neighborhood. And all those things are good. What I'm saying is, When it comes to trying to prioritize friendship in your life, what you will discover is there's very little room left to discover a true friend. So if you think, well, I'm just going to make time, it can be a bad map because, frankly, everything is working against you from discovering a friend who sticks closer than a brother, a friend who will be more significant than even your family. In fact, the Athenian playwright, 700 years after the wisdom writer wrote Psalm, I mean, Proverbs 18:24, Euripides, an Athenian playwright, uh, said this. He said, one loyal friend is worth 10,000 relatives. Some of you are saying amen inside because you're sitting next to your parents or your family. And, uh... But he's on to something and he's actually just repeating what the wisdom writer said. And it's a good thing to have that strong of a relationship. Now, obviously, that can be distorted, and all things go sideways on that. But I'm talking about there is a friend out there. You're one friend away from discovering a beautiful relationship. Beautiful, that could alter your destiny, that could make you come alive in your pursuit of Christ. So that's a couple bad maps. Let me give you one good map as we begin this series And as I get close to wrapping up here, here, here's here's the good map taken from uh, Proverbs chapter 27, verse nine. Um, It says, just as lotions and fragrance give sensual delight, a sweet friendship refreshes the soul. Now, I'm just gonna leave this up here for a moment because, again, you've got these contrasts going on. But what I wanna, I just wanna point out the phrase, a sweet friendship refreshes the soul. Every commentator of the book of Proverbs tells us that this word sweet is, is unique because in our day and age, we can make anything sweet. I mean, you can make a baked potato sweet. I don't know if you'd want to, but that you can, make, you can, you can take good black coffee as it should be drunk <laughs> and completely ruin it with all kinds of sweeteners. And I tell Trina that you know, basically you just melted a candy bar and defiled the cup of coffee with it. But you can do it because anything's possible today, right? You can you can sweeten anything. Not when this proverb was written. If you ate something sweet, it was naturally sweet and the only way you you found out it was sweet is you discovered it. You were eating things and you came across a corn on the cob, and you took a bite and you went, "Oh, this tastes good. It's sweet." Sweetness back in the day when the Proverbs are written was discovered, and so what the what the wisdom writer is saying is friendship, kind of embedded in this verse. Friendship is discovered. Now, how how is it discovered? Ralph Waldo Emerson, uh, and just I'll just give you a clue here. He says friendship does not ask, "Do you love me?" so much as, "Do you see the same truth?" C.S. Lewis picks up on this in his book called The Four Loves. Let me just read this paragraph here. This is really, really helpful. Lewis says, the typical expression of opening friendship would be something like, what? You two? I thought I was the only one. That's the beginning of friendship. What makes a friend is you two. You think that's important too? This is why those pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any. The very condition for having friends is that you would want something else besides friends. If someone asks you, do you see the same truth? And your honest answer is, I really don't care about that. I just want, to be my, I want you to be my friend. Then no friendship can arise. There would be nothing for the friendship to be about those who have nothing share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. What Lewis is getting to is the wisdom behind Proverbs chapter 27 verse 9. A sweet friendship refreshes the soul, and friendship, a sweet friendship is a discovered friendship. And it happens by simply sharing your heart with someone. It's it's a lost art, but try taking someone out for lunch after church. Do you know that Sam Alliance was really built on this ethic? I mean, a guy named Don Budin had pastored this place for a lot of years, and he drove it into the hearts of the church. Give time to people, hear their stories, and as that happened, what people did is they discovered, and they said, you too? I thought I was the only one. I thought I was the only one who felt that way. And friendships were born. And that's the discovery of friendship. It it, it comes first through some self-discovery of knowing where you're going. And then as you share your story, as you hear stories shared with you, you begin to then discover this foundation, this affinity upon which a relationship can be built. Lewis goes on to say in the book called The Four Loves, he goes on to say that the human, a human, normal human being, uh, now I, I realize there's a lot of super normal people in the room. normal human being has the capacity for two or three friends. Now think about that based on how many, if you're on Facebook, how many friends you have. The normal human being has the capacity for two to three friends. And those will be friends that have been discovered. Now, let me just wrap up this. I want to give you some practical things that we can be doing in the discovery of friendship. We'll talk about uh, what a friend is next week. But just start here. A Reflective question. If you have an accumulation of acquaintances or friends on social media, ask yourself why. Ask yourself, am I building friends or am I simply building an audience? Am I trying to... Mask my own personal loneliness as I try and share things so I'll be affirmed. It's a bad map. Ask yourself that question. The second thing I'd say is if you have companions but no friends, begin praying for one. Some of you are here and I'm just telling you that you're you're lonely and, and you don't know where to start and can I just say just start praying for a friend. You've got companions, you've got connections but they're broad. I believe God wants to give you a great friend. Think about it. You may not even have met your best friend yet. Is that not crazy? Third thing I say is this. With clarity, answer the question, where am I going? A good friend of mine named Henry Kissinger said this. Uh, If you don't know where you're going, every road will get you nowhere. I know it sounds like Yogi Berra, but this, this discovery of where you're going is really crucial. Um, this is why Rick Warren was able to sell a gazillion books of you know, purpose-driven life. A, a decent resource, um, if you wanted to answer this question, is a book called The Path by Lori Beth Jones. Um, it, it's it's a decent um, attempt at helping people discover where they're going. Uh, I'm sorry, we don't have it at Pursuits, but you could get it on Amazon or a bookstore somewhere. But that, that could be a good resource. But you know, back to the list, this, with clarity, you need to answer the question, where am I going? Because when you start sharing stories with people, you're not gonna go, oh, you too, if you don't have some personal holy discontents, if you don't have a personal understanding of where you're going in life. What's your mission in life? What keeps you up at night? What disturbs you? What makes you come alive? And as you answer that question for yourself, you'll find friends. Last thing I'd say is this. Take relational risks. You're obviously not going to have one of those you two moments unless you expose yourself to people you don't know. Take them out for lunch after church. Have a cup of coffee. Have a cup of tea. Get some ice cream. Eat something sweet. You know, just go do it and ask them to tell their story. And as you take those relational risks you're going to discover great friendships. And as Lewis said, you have the potential for two or three of them. Jesus had his broad connection of thousands. He had his 72, he had his 12, and he had his intimate three. Some of you are super normal. You could have more than two or three. One of my personal heroes is Barbara Fletcher. Barbara Fletcher has her Fab Five. those of us who serve with her have been trying to submit applications just so we can say, uh, we are part of Barbara Fletcher's Fab Five. You know, I, I don't know what the number is, but what I do know is that you need a friend who sticks closer than even your family because friending is a deliberate choice. You didn't get to choose the family you were born into, but you do get to choose your friends. Your family raised you they took great care of you and they shaped you, I I pray in a real positive way, your friends later in life are the ones who will shape you. As you heard me say in August, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Let's pray. So Lord, as we begin this series, we thank you that you've given us the gift of human relationships. Our hearts can be knitted together. We can enjoy community in a large group. We can enjoy it in small groups. And man, what a sweet thing it is to discover a friend. May that happen again and again and again and again. It's in your name we pray. Amen.